You're listening to Pim Talk, the product marketing podcast, brought to you by InRiver. Let's talk about Pim. Yeah. Let's talk about Pim. Let's talk about Pim. Welcome to Pim Talk the podcast for product marketers, merchandisers, and PIM professionals. And every second Tuesday, we come together to share knowledge, experiences, and challenges to be able to create even better product stories. Maybe you're wondering what PIM is. PIM is a software that is all about managing all product marketing information in one place to create a rich customer experience in all channels and shorten time to market. And if you're new to PIM, check out our first episode, What is PIM? I'm your host, Thomas Schwabberg. I'm the creative director at InRiver, and we want to do this podcast for you and with you. So please contact us and tell us what topics you would like us to cover, what guests you would like to have on the show, or maybe you want to contribute in any way. So you can email us at pimtalk at inriver.com or send a message on Twitter at pimtalkpodcast. In this episode, we are talking to Brian Eisenberg about how you can be more like Amazon and learn from their four pillars of success. And that's customer centricity, continuous optimization, the culture of innovation and corporate agility. And after the interview, we're also going to do a giveaway of um, his book, Be Like Amazon. So stay tuned. But now let's go on with the talk. So I want to welcome Brian Eisenberg to PIM Talk. Hi, Brian. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm great. Thank you. So could you just start uh, introducing yourself a bit for those who don't know you? Sure. I am um, a partner at Buyer Legends. I am a author of and co-author of uh, six books, including two uh, New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestsellers. My latest book is uh, Be Like Amazon, Even a Lemonade Stand Can Do It. I'm also the uh, co-founder of the Digital Analytics Association and Chairman Emeritus. Um, and I, I speak around the globe and I've helped companies from Google to Overstock, Dell, Ice, um, and countless others, you know, Marketo, IBM, you know, and help them improve their uh, customer experience and uh, their own uh, conversion rates. Okay, sounds fun. It's, uh, it's kept us busy for the last, uh, I don't know, a little over 20 years. Okay, so what do you do for Google, let's say? It's a big company, so what, what do you do go and, and help them with? Yeah, so a big part of the work with uh, Google was, was really helping them, you know, get the perspective of their customers, you know, look at the data that they were currently looking at, you know, make sure it was really aligned with, uh, as, as we like to call it in our, in our book, be like Amazon customer reality data, right? Because okay. uh, too often businesses get focused in on, on, on their performance data, right? Their business performance data. And, and it doesn't tell the reality of the customer's point of view. And so by being able to help them change that little bit of that perspective, we were able to help them, you know, grow and, and optimize their uh, results for their SMB acquisitions uh, for AdWords. Okay. So you mentioned this uh, latest book of yours, Be Like Amazon. And uh, you might know in the Nordics uh, here, we have a kind of interesting situation. And I also saw one of your keynotes where you, where you asked the question to the audience, what would you do if Amazon were on their way? And that's exactly the situation here. We don't know exactly when, 
but they are coming very soon. So what would you say to companies that sees this as a major challenge or maybe even an opportunity? What what can they learn from Amazon or what can they do in a situation where Amazon enters the stage? So, you know, I, I, I use this, um, uh, this little story when uh, I'm on a lot of conferences here in the States, but I think um, especially in the Nordics, uh, depending on where you are, um, and, if, you know, of, of course, I've, I always love visiting the Nordics. Imagine if we went camping and all of a sudden we saw a bear, Yeah. right? And it was, and it was a group of us. And um, that bear is a little hungry and it's hungry to take up more and more of, uh, of its space and of its territory uh, and, and to keep others out, right? Yeah. That's the nature of a bear. Yeah, take a photo and run. <laughs> yeah. Um, or maybe not even take the photo. But here's, but here's the thing I know. If you're uh, and I and a few others are out there, I don't need to outrun the bear. No. It's, it's not necessarily going to happen. But what I do need to do, need to do is outrun at least one of you. <laughs> okay. Right? Yeah. Um, and, and that's the situation of the market. Look, you know what? Amazon, Amazon's going to come in. They're going to come in with, you know, global resources. They don't have a great understanding of the land. So that, that, that is a, absolutely a, a limitation in, and of the culture. Um, but they're going to get local. They're going to do all that. And no matter what business you're in, and, 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 I, and I've been telling people this for years, Warren Buffett has said that uh, Jeff Bezos has, is by far the best CEO that there's ever been. And, and the reason he says that is very clear. The way he operates business, and, it's, and uh, we call it by these, these four pillars of Amazon success, hmm. he, he brings them, whether it's been in retail, whether it's been in the services business or you know, AWS, um, and you know, they have other services on top of that, or he's even brought it to um, the media business with his acquisition of the Washington Post. It was a great article on NPR on how they've reshaped the Washington Post, and it's exactly the four pillars. And all of a sudden, they're growing. And so the premise of our book was, you know what, are there other businesses besides Amazon once they apply this new operating system, if you think about it, almost like changing from the old BlackBerry operating systems to an iOS. Yeah, I didn't do that transition because BlackBerry, they never became a thing here, but uh, I can imagine. Okay, Palm Pilots. Yeah, yeah. I had <laughs> right? one. <laughs> right, so imagine if, imagine if today you still had to run your business with a Palm Pilot. Right? Yeah. You, you, like it would be crazy to, to, to try to operate an operating system like that. And all we're saying is that Amazon is, is, is running on a different set of, of rules and a different set of operating system that really changes the way they do business. And I think once we dissect how he's done it and why he's done it, all of a sudden you realize, oh no, he's just built the first business structured for a digital world. Hmm. And almost every other business out there is still stuck in the hierarchies and silos of the old brick and mortar factory models and not in the modern dis digital world of thinking. Okay, but if you say that you're, um, you have been a retail company for many years or even you did um, uh, sold through a catalog and now you have done this step towards e-commerce during the latest years and can they upgrade to a similar operating system or what should they do in a situation like that? 
Absolutely. And, and, and you know, let me, let me give you an example I shared at a keynote this past week. And I think it'll, it'll really kind of put things in perspective. If you think about the two most data-centric companies in the world today, we, you know, you, or, or at least in the top two, you, you certainly have to think about Amazon because that's certainly a big way of the, that they've grown. Yeah. And you have to think of a company like Walmart, right, who was the data king before Amazon came along. Okay. And Walmart finally has woken up and realized, okay, you know what, this digital thing is real. We have to compete. And, you know, they made the acquisitions of Jet and, you know, they, all these aqua hires and, uh, you know, they purchased Bonobos and a bunch of other brands. And they're really trying to bring that digital DNA to the, to, to their e-commerce business. Okay. We've got those two now. So now, now let's focus on a simple example and understand how they're so different. When Jeff Bezos started the business, he believed that he was going to be Earth's most customer-centric company. Now, the problem is when people hear that word, customer-centric, they believe it's all about the warm and fuzzy. Yeah. But, but Jeff Bezos was an analyst. He's not that warm, fuzzy guy. What he realized that digital was going to give him, and he didn't even realize to what extent, obviously, could never have imagined, but he probably had some foresight as to where it would go, is that, if that what digital gave him over what Walmart had is I can connect Every purchase, every click, every share, every highlight in a book, uh, every wish list item, every affiliate site you visit, uh, every movie and, and TV show you watch on Amazon Prime, on what you now purchase at, at Whole Foods, right? And all of these different things, and I can tie it to a unique identifier, right? Mm. Originally, your email. And then, ultimately, it became your mobile phone. Because if you actually go back and you look at Amazon's massive growth, right? Because it's always been growing, growing, growing. But the massive growth came basically 10 years ago at the launch of the iPhone because it was the first company that realized that you needed to have a seamless experience across all these channels yeah. tied to the individual. And as soon as you went onto the Amazon mobile app and you added something into your cart on the app, you could complete your purchase on the desktop, no problem. It was seamless. Yeah, because then then you could uh, then you could interact with all the digital channels directly wherever you were twenty four seven. You didn't Correct. have to go to a computer and actually go to the Amazon website. Now now you had it in your hand all the time. Correct. So that was a that was a big fundamental difference that they had that most of their competitors took a year or two to sort of catch up and and start patching in and, and creating some, you know, mobile to, to, to desktop experience. And still today, many don't have a great mobile experience, which is kind of scary 10 years later. So you would, would you say that that is one of the things that companies should do, uh, be, be, um, uh, make sure that they have a better mobile uh, experience than their competitors? Is, is that oh, one way of I- not getting eaten by the bear or... That's that's absolutely one way, right? Our, our job is to keep you know keep ahead of our uh, customers, yeah. and you know our customers have been moving uh, you know more and more forward with being on mobile traffic than they are regular traffic. So your mobile experience needs to be a big part of it, in store, out of store. It needs to be a big part of of your strategy. Now let's go back to the Walmart example. Walmart, you and I can walk into Walmart. You may be Walmart's most valuable customer in the world, and they would not even know. Because what Walmart's data showed them is information about products, logistics, right, and, 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 and sales data. But yeah. they didn't know anything about the customer or who that customer was, right? And so now I want to kind of bring you back into to a couple of different examples. And I think this will help clarify and give you some directions of what you can do. So we, we know that Amazon has purchased Whole Foods. 
Yeah. And so one of the things they've recently done, uh, and of course, I, I live in Austin, Texas, which is the, you know, the home office of Whole Foods. Okay. Um, and so they do a lot of experimentation in the stores here. But one of the first so, things they did. So do you go off into Whole Foods? We don't have it here. So is, is that... Um, uh, well, I, I, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you, I, I used to more, okay. but they're also doing something more interesting now too. On top of that, so that I, I, I tend not to go as much, but I'll tell you why in a moment. Okay. But what, but what they've done is, if you go to the Whole Foods store now, um, and, and you have the Whole Foods app, you link it up with your Amazon account. Boom, boom, boom. Now they're linking up all the data again. Okay. Okay. And you show them this barcode in your app at the register and you say, uh, Prime members automatically save 10%. And of course, they have 100 million Prime members. Hmm. And now they've connected my in-store purchases to my online purchases to my wish list to everything else I order on subscribe and save, right? And now they're getting complete picture of who I am, what I look for and all that. And now they can also, of course, send me targeted offers. And the reason I don't go to the store as much is because here in Austin, in the Prime Now app, which is another one of those apps that sync everything up, they also have the Whole Foods store, right? Kind of reversed. And I can order basically anything to my house uh, and have it delivered in a two-hour window for free. Well, yeah, um, I can imagine why you don't go to the store. So what, right. what, what do you purchase? What, what is your you know, top three products? Oh, uh, things like almond milk. I, I drink a lot of almond milk. You, you know, I, I order a lot of avocados and, and, and greens. And, you know, there's a certain brand of, uh, uh, of eggs that I enjoy that, that, that they're the only ones who sell. So, yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of things like that that, that I purchase. Like, I, I eat mostly a plant-based diet. Okay. So, to me, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a great convenience of, of being able to do that. Are the avocados now, ready to eat or...? Yes, you, they actually have the difference. You can have ready-to-eat avocados. Even okay. though I got to tell you, this week I messed up. They were not quite ready to eat. Okay. Okay. Yeah, but but that's okay. They were ready a day later. But it, it was it was fine. Yeah. The worst so, thing here. Uh, sorry. The worst <laughs> thing here is that when you buy ready-to-eat avocados in the store, they are about two dollars each. And then when you come home, they might be you know they might be ruined. Uh, and Too ripe. You know yeah. That, you pay two dollars for avocados, so it's pretty outrageous. So I mean. Ah. If, there okay, is a service so, that you can per if you can get perfect avocados, uh, home scent. I would be a customer for life. Yeah. So, so I'm going to give you first of all the, one of the tips to pick the right uh, avocado. Just don't let them see you do this in the store. Oh, okay. If, Please do. If, if you flick off the stem of the avocado and it's green, it's perfectly yeah. ripe. If it's okay. brown, it's past ripe. Okay. Super. <laughs> uh, you have say you have saved the day. Now, now. Okay. Now that we got avocados <laughs> taken care of. You're listening to PimTalk, the product marketing podcast. Today, we talk to Brian Eisenberg about how you can be more like Amazon. And after this short break, we're going to talk of how Amazon solved the product information challenge that they had. PIM stands for Product Information Management, and InRiver stands for PIM. Want to learn more about how your organization can benefit from PIM software? We've put together a free white paper where you can learn what you need to know about how your e-commerce platform can benefit from PIM. Go to www.pimtalk.com to download a free guide to help you better understand how PIM can work for you. That's www.pimtalk.com. Also, one thing that we have said when they ask people why they didn't buy a product, at, um, for instance, online, is that 
um, there was not enough information about the product and so on. So how would you say Amazon works there in order to make sure that the, um, the customers have all the information they need in order to make a purchase? So Amazon cheated. <laughs> let's, let's start there. Yeah. Um, we have to go back. So Amazon was one of the first companies ever to launch reviews. Yeah. And uh, if you go back to the everything store, there's a great story of when Jeff Bezos wanted to launch the reviews on uh, books. And he realized that um, the publishers were going to get angry with him. And he explained to them very clearly. He said, we are not in the business of selling books. We're in the business of helping customers buy books. <laughs> But the challenge he realized is that he had all these millions of SKUs that there was no way that they were going to be able to write better descriptions of the books. Yeah. How is he going to help them buy? And so he had to leverage his customers in order to get their, their content, right? their views, their recommendations. And that's why eventually they did the testing with the most helpful, was this review helpful for you, right? Those little things, and by the way, that, that one test was worth over $300 million when they added the most helpful thing. Okay. Just, just, just to see the scale of this. And they basically have taken their customers, you know, first starting with just text reviews, now then pictures, and now, of course, a video. Um, there's a video review of my book um, um, from Douglas Burdett from the Marketing um, um, uh, Book Podcast um, that he did. And it's one of the most helpful things that people have when they go look at, you know, the page on Amazon for my book, right? On top of the details, Amazon only gives me as the publisher um, of that book uh, just a small amount of space to put in details. Yeah. But when I can get this other people to fill in more details and their values and opinions and people feel connected to them, all of a sudden it completes the data. Um, and I think that's one of the big things today. You know, there's so much data and, and so much information about products, especially within organizations, uh, not only from the, the product people, but from people who use their product. In other words, you know, being their own dog food, um, you know, uh, you know, people within the whole organization that could share content, who can be their own reviewers and, 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 and help with that content. And, and we don't leverage it. No. Um, and especially today with video, that's, that's definitely the way that so many people are consuming content. I think that's a, a great direction to be able to take. And in fact, I'm, I'm even advising a company today uh, called Video with an extra O at the end that will take reviews and social media uh, that you have on your website and turn them into videos automatically for you. Right. And right. I, I think also that that is something that we see from our part, as you say, that there is so much knowledge uh, about uh, the products of a company, both internal within the company and externally. And uh, when our customers work with, with um, our product information management system, they can, they can actually make this available to, to more of their employees so, that, so they can bring in more people in the enrichment process and in that way also create richer and more relevant information to the customers and also then in the second step even let other people be contributors as well to um, yeah, to the products the fans that they might have sometimes you have ambassadors for your brand and so on you can let them also participate in the content creation 
Correct. And, and, and influencers as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's, that's the biggest part of it. And, you know, uh, it, it comes back to an old thing I learned in, in, in college called the Johari window, which is, you know, a, a model of self-disclosure and, and companies often feel that they, all they can do is give 300 word descriptions of their products and they're done. Yeah. But I mean, what keeps people most of the time from buying is either a friction experience or that you haven't increased their motivation and motiva- motivation comes from confidence and the confidence comes from the knowledge about the product that it's the right product for them. Yeah, yeah that's so important. So, so here um, for the companies that are anticipating the, the uh, arrival of Amazon and, and try to, to uh, at least outrun their competitors so they won't be eaten by the bear. I mean, the mobile experience was one thing and uh, know your customer uh, I understand it's one of the things that you are saying that you need to know your customer in order to give them the um, the correct user experience. Um, is there any other things that uh, would be the most vital stuff to um, to work? Yeah, with? yeah, certainly. I think you know if we if we the, the stuff we just covered really is the, the is the first pillar. Uh, and if you think of this as almost as a as a uh, a set of gears that kind of work together. Uh, this is the customer centricity gear, right? It's yeah. it, it's you know being focused on the getting the appropriate data to serve our customers in the best way and give them great experiences. In order to do that, we need to come up with a lot of innovations because, um, as my friends at Google used to say, you know, we live in a world of quicksand, right? Nothing is as known as it was 50 years ago world is changing faster today than it ever has before you know even the t- during the time of the industrial revolution um the pace of change has n- was nothing compared to the pace of change during this digital revolution and so um we we certainly need to constantly be innovating on their behalf um and uh and and, and finding ways to bring added value into the experience so you need to have that culture of innovation. But of course, innovation alone doesn't do uh, wonders if you can't execute on it. And I think this is where most companies really get caught because while they may have uh, you know, research and development uh, budgets, they fail to bring things to market. Just uh, Kodak did when they first invented the digital camera in the 1970s. Yeah. Right. But they thought they were a film company. They didn't realize ultimately they were in the experience business of capturing experiences. So they lost out. They couldn't, they, they, they didn't have the corporate agility. And this is, this is one of the things where Amazon uh, excels. And this is where um, uh, uh, Apple used to also excel tremendously where uh, all their teams are built of uh, Spotify is another great example of this too, by the way. Thank you for bringing in Sweden in the picture. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, same thing, right? I think they're one of these very digitally native organizations. They understand that it is about the data to serve the company absolutely correctly. I know there's a a great study uh, a few years ago about an artist complaining about leaving and they just looked at the data and realized (laughs) it's okay. Yeah. And and they are coming back, you know, they go and they say, well, I'm only going to release my album on this other platform that I am co-owner of. And and then, then after a while they come back. Right. So, um, so this agility purpose of having these small teams that can react in real time, uh, is critical today, and I, and I use this, this is a little bit of an older example from coming back to music, it'll make a lot of sense. The day Michael Jackson passed away, Amazon reconfigured their MP3 store within two hours. Hmm. Now, if you think of that, most organizations can't call a meeting in two hours. Yeah. They can't change their signs in two hours. They can't move their, all the, if they took all of Michael Jackson's records that they had, you know, and, and, and the music that they had in the store and moved it to the front that, that day, 
it might have taken them longer than two hours, and they probably wouldn't have had enough inventory to keep up with the demand anyway. And then they would have had to get it from the where every other store suffered because they didn't have the uh, that agility that that Amazon has by having these these cross-functional teams that are business people and analysts and developers uh, and merchandisers and and marketers kind of all in one. It's, it's, it's really critical to do that. And then lastly, you know, when you're innovating and uh, you're acting quickly, you're bound to not make everything perfect. Uh, you know, failure is part of the equation. Uh, yeah. You just have to look at the Amazon original phone as, as, as an example to that. Yeah, where is and, that? Is that a thing in the U.S. or... No, it, it it was a failed experiment. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or or a great example I also like to to, to show is uh, I I think you remember many 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 years ago on their website they used to list their A9 search engine and you know they thought that was going to be a big deal on the web it, and it turned out when they first launched it onto their site it really, didn't, it really wasn't a great experience but A9 has be basically become Alexa which is now huge yeah. right it's, it's one of their largest drivers uh, so you know you have to continually optimize. Right, you need to, to never be satisfied with your results and always be looking to, to get better uh, today than you were yesterday. And, and you have to be able to uh, get those uh, ideas and, and the vision to do that from the boardroom to the stock room to, you know, to the bathroom. Um, <laughs> you know, everything everything you know, needs to find a way to, to be better and to improve that experience. And, and that kind of brings us back full circle to improve the quality of the experience for the customer. Okay. And the faster you can spin those wheels, the faster you experience growth. And uh, like I said, the, the premise of our book was to go ahead and look at small businesses. Uh, and, and by small businesses, I mean, you know, some that are doing a few million dollars to, to some that were doing over $300 million. And in all categories, from services to, to retail products, to see whether if they applied the same principles of the four pillars, it would drive growth. And it, it absolutely does. And so I think once you start putting that together, you start getting there. But here's the, here's the big but. The brilliance of Jeff Bezos is not in these four pillars, and okay. it's not in being data-centric. This is the big catch, and I think this is where okay. people oftentimes miss it, because a lot of companies feel data-centric, but they don't necessarily get the whole buy-in from the whole organization, because what happens is when you're data-centric, and fMRI studies have shown when they scan people's brains, that when you're looking at data, or like spreadsheets, the part of your brain that's empathetic shuts off. Okay, that's that's not a big surprise. <laughs> no, and and vice versa. And the problem is, is as marketers or or people who are concerned about customer experience or or, or 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 you know CX or UX or however you want to call it, our job is to have empathy for our customers, yeah. right? And to find solutions on behalf for our customers. And it's very hard to do that when you're focused on the data. Yeah, that, so how that... did Jeff Bezos overcome this? I think is critical to understand. Okay, tell me. Okay, what he did is he forces everybody before every meeting to deliver and read these six-page memos. And it's called working backwards. They have to start at the end and describe in immense detail in a six-page memo so everyone is completely lined. There is no PowerPoints allowed during any of these meetings. Okay. And by turning the data, that's the, the insight that's uh, into narrative, into these stories, you can now engage empathy and you can see whether the thoughts are complete and well thought out. And I think this is one of those brilliant pieces. And this is what we call a buyer legend. This is the process that we go ahead and, and, and we've mentored tons of companies on, on doing because when you do that, now you can get everyone's alignment. And I'm going to give you an old story that I think if, if you've been in retail a long time, you probably have heard it, 
but it'll make you understand the power of a great legend. And yeah. it's, why, it's, it's why we call our company Buyer Legends. Okay. There was a retail well, store in Anchorage, Alaska, where a gentleman walked in in the middle of the winter to return snow tires. Okay. Now, the store sold clothing, but they decided to give him back his money for the tires anyway. Have you ever heard that story? Yeah, I think I might have heard some variant of it at least. Yeah, it's, it's Nordstrom. Okay, I didn't know that. Okay, and there's questions whether it's a true story or not true story, but the value in the story, and, and like every you know, uh, Viking legend, Norse legend, Greek yeah. legend, as stories are told from person to person, they change a little bit, they vary a little bit, they, they get bigger, but the seed of the story tells us one thing, the values that the, that the organization believes. And the organization believes that the customer deserves to get a return no matter what the product is. That's how extreme they'll take things. The Ritz-Carlton does the same thing. And I'm going to give you one last story of my daughter who went to a store that has signs everywhere in every single one of their stores across the globe that says the customer is always right. So she went ahead into a lush uh, beauty store, right? You know, they sell these uh, organic bath bombs and masks and yeah, stuff like this. Yeah, my and, daughters love them. She right, has, right. Uh, tens of how, them at home. <laughs> how, old, how old is she? Uh, she is just turning 15 and her little sister that uh, actually is 12 today. Uh, oh, they both have a lot of this stuff. Thank you. Yeah, so, so my daughter had just turned 16. She had gotten a gift certificate to Lush for her birthday. And she went in and drove with one of her friends. And we were about 20 minutes away from the store. And uh, she's about five minutes away to the house. And she decided that she was going to open up the uh, container because she wanted to smell it again. And she opens it up. And um, it was a brown mask. And it looked like someone's fingers were inside of it. Horrible. Okay. You know, like, I mean, I you spoke at a veterinary I spoke at a vet, veterinary conference, and when they saw the picture of it, they thought it was something that you know, they may get as a sample from one of the pets. Okay. It was, it was not a good picture. Can so she called, me, she called me up, what, what should I do? I said, well, call the store, and then they should be able to you know, exchange it. So she calls the store. She forgets to do to somebody. They say, oh, no problem. Bring it right back. So she turns around, goes back another 15 minutes to the store, finds parking, waits for someone to get free. She goes, she tells them the story. The, the person looks at it and said, no, this is normal. It's just part of the settling of the product. And of course, if you go on Instagram and you look at all the rest of their products and the way they're packed, they're all smooth and kind of beautiful. And this did not look right. Hmm. Ultimately, I, I went on Twitter and I, uh, you know, I sent the message and you know, they gave her a gift card for uh, that product. Um, but I have to tell you that since then, she's only gone back to the store once. Yeah. It took one time to erode the value of the brand. And it's not because the company doesn't believe in those values, but the legend of how extreme we take them, right, yeah. fell on this employee because they probably didn't meet their best employee on their best day. They meant an average employee and maybe not a good day. Maybe, maybe it was that person who packed it and just, just, he broke up with his girlfriend or whatever and wasn't in the mood to deal with it. And now you've lost a customer for life. Yeah, it doesn't take much. Definitely. It doesn't take much. And so this is the brilliance of putting all these pieces together. And I think, like I said, it's an operating system. It's a way of doing business that's fundamentally changed from, from anything that we've seen before. So is there anything else, the, what we can learn from Amazon, that you, you would like to, to add? Or have we covered the, the most important parts? 
I mean, I mean, you know, there are certainly lots of little details and, yeah. you know, the way they look at their metrics is unique. Uh, I, I mean, there, there's a lot of it. It's, it the good news is, um, you know, the, the book uh, that we wrote is written as a narrative. So it's a little, it's kind of like a little short story that you can finish in under two hours. It's, a, it's less than 140 pages. So it's, it's a very quick read. It's also a, an audio book. And so you can you can grab all of these insights from there, but yes. Yeah, but we're also gonna for the listeners. We're we're gonna make sure that we have a gonna have a giveaway. You're gonna have the possibility to, to read the book, uh, be like Amazon, and uh, and also if they would like to hear more of you, I understand that you also have a podcast, right? I have a new podcast I, I launched. Uh, called businesstravelhacks.com. Okay. Um, and uh, the reason I did that is, again, as a, you know, as a speaker, uh, you know, I, I've been traveling to, and, and, and consulting. I've been traveling, you know, across the globe for the last almost 20 years. And um, travel today is stressful. My, my good friend Avinash put out a, a, uh, his newsletter today, Avinash Kaushik, and he talked about one of the reasons why travel is so stressful. And if you think about it, he, he gives a great visualization of, you know, if, if you looked at yourself in a, in a small little 1600 foot room uh, apartment, you know, and, and the way you live your life, it would basically be like you and your cat alone, you know, and then by the time you, you know, you go into one of the big uh, football stadiums in the world, you know, all of a sudden, you know, it's, uh, it's you and a few hundred friends and you're kind of just like, you know, having a little bit of a hard time moving around, but you can get around the apartment. And then by the time we put you uh, on an airplane, um, you can barely turn your shoulders. Yeah. Right, it's person on top of per, of person, and so I've been interviewing guests on how they make the most out of their conferences, out of their fr- flights. Um, you know what products they use to 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 make it. Uh, you know their experience more seamless. Uh, what clothing they use, what bags, and uh, you know everyone provides kind of their own little insights. So okay. uh, it's been a, it's been a fun little way to kind of approach the world and. Yeah, it's just looking at an experience in a slightly different way and, and optimizing our own personal business travel experiences. Yeah, that, that sounds really interesting. I'm definitely going to take a look at that. I, I was uh, traveling to the UK yesterday, and as you say, you sit very close to each other. I actually had a woman s- sleeping on my shoulder when, <laughs> when I arrived. So, um, and I'm, I'm going for, and I think a lot of people uh, can't be without their noise-canceling earphones um, uh, when they fly. It's, uh, so, th- besides noise canceling uh, headphones, and there are uh, a numerous recommendations from people of the different ones they use. The other universal that basically every single one of my guests use is a uh, backup USB um, charger. Yeah. So if, if you don't have those two, you know you're not traveling because how often can you get to an airport and there isn't even a plug? And, and the and third one. Now you have to give a, a third tip for for the traveler. Uh, what would be your uh, other thing that uh, pro tip for, from a traveler's point of view? Uh, prob- probably um, pack lighter than you think you should. And that means planning uh, some different clothes. And, and I'm going I'm to ask you for a tip in a moment as well, because I've got a, a trip in December to the Nordics and um, I'm not quite sure about that one. <laughs> I've, been, I, I, I've been in October, I've been in June, uh, but I'm going in December. Okay. Um, but packing cubes. If you haven't seen those, definitely just you know go ahead and, and, and do a search. Uh, uh, Eagle Creek, eBags. Um, there's a bunch of companies that make these packing cubes, and they really make 
planning and organizing and you know keeping your clothes uh, uh, you know less wrinkle free and, and keeping the dirty from the clean clothes it, uh, much easier than anything else so uh, I, I think that's probably one of the other big ones that you see uh, very common among most of my speakers and one that I've used for, for a very long time so so here's my question for you right I'm gonna be coming from um, uh, here Austin Texas probably in December it'll be 12 to 15 degrees centigrade yeah right uh, flying into Oslo in the beginning of December yeah and uh, of course I've been there during the, you know when it's all you know daylight. there's no ice bears in the street and though you're you're fine yes with yeah that, yeah huh? I'm, I'm, I'm not worried I'm not worried about the bears thankfully. Okay, good. Yeah. but I, I you know I, I grew up in New York so I'm certainly familiar with a little bit of snow but how do you plan for days that are 23 hours in the dark oh well that's the most depressing part of living in the Nordics, I would say. And that is the, the dark months of the year. Um, so um, that was a good one. Um, no, no suggestions. Just be, be depressed. I, now I understand. We have a trick for that in Sweden, actually, that works for many people. And that is uh, go to Thailand. <laughs> yeah right there, there are all those lamps as well that can mimic natural right uh, light right so you can have them as a, an alarm clock and, and oh that would be great yeah you wake up in a good way because that's the most depressing thing that when you're getting up you get the the kids to school and you're going to work and everything is just you know darkness so i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna ask for that as well that's see that's see that's that's what i was looking for that's a that's a wonderful tip for that but yeah uh, and it's the same thing right when i when i get into uh, into into the nordics and uh, i mean i i lo love sweden uh, sweden has some of my my uh my favorite uh uh vegetarian restaurants in the world it's, it's probably my top three uh which one is Herman's. that Herman's right by the water, the, the little buffet that they do there. It's a wonderful experience. Okay. Um, but it's, it's such a there's such great cities to walk in and explore and, and, and you know, go in different routes. And very hard to get lost as well. So it's, that's why I, I, I just love traveling in them. And, I, and that's what I would normally do. I'd land and I, and I go walking. But unfortunately, in 24-hour uh, darkness and really cold, I'm not sure I want to be out walking for three, four hours. <laughs> Maybe not, but if you're in the Malmö Copenhagen area, you're always welcome up to uh, our office, and uh, we can I handle would... both uh, warm days and uh, cold days. Uh, we have free ice cream here in the summer. We have had the hottest July in 260 years, so um, we definitely make use of our ice cream box um, this year. Well, well, next next time I, uh, I I come by to Sweden, I'll absolutely have to take you up on that. Yeah. So how do how can people find you otherwise than listen to this podcast of yours? Sure, they can find me at uh, buyerlegends.com um, as well as brianeisenberg.com, and of course uh, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, I'm not very hard to find. Okay, nice to hear, and and thank you so much, Brian, for for joining Pim Talk. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. It was, it was a real honor to be here. Okay, thanks. Thanks so much. You will have the opportunity to get Brian's book. We are actually doing a giveaway of 10 books. And the first way is to send a tweet to PimTalk Podcast and also with the hashtag BeLikeAmazon. The other way is to send an email to PimTalk at Give us some feedback 
and uh, just say that you want the book and uh, we have five books that will go out that way as well. Uh, looking on what's coming on the horizon, we still have um, Pinpoint Americas, the 4th of October. Uh, that will be in Chicago and if you're interested in the event and want to sign up, you can go to pinpointsummit.com. Thank you for listening. For feedback, tips and questions, you can email us at pimtalk at inriver.com or message us at pimtalkpodcast at Twitter. Uh, please, if you like the show, go into iTunes and give us a good review. And um, if you would like to see some behind-the-scenes material, bloopers and live streams, you can follow PimTalk on Instagram. And see you again in two weeks. Bye. Let's talk about